Let's pray. Source of grace and love, remind us in this moment that we are not alone. We give thanks that you send us a partner for the work of faith. Show us your way of renewal, hope, and trust in the power of your goodness and mercy. Amen. When I was writing the theology section of my ordination paper, I'm ordained in the United Church of Christ, I asked a good friend, Shannon, to read it. Shannon is a brilliant Yale-educated theologian, and she said two things about my paper. One, you really love Jesus. Are you sure you aren't Baptist? (laughs) And two, take out the polemics, Lauren. You see, I was so busy reacting to what I no longer believed, I was asking the reader to slop through a bunch of muck to get to the juicy parts of what I really do believe. As I look to Jesus in this passage at first glance, I wish he also would have had Shannon's advice. Not the Baptist part, we know that Jesus loves all the Baptists. (laughs) But the part about being too polemical. I mean, he just compared his generation to quarreling children in the marketplace. And yet with further reflection as I've sat with this text and wrestled with this text all week, I'm really glad to see Jesus in this light. He is angry. He is mad that John the Baptist was so misunderstood for being too radical. He ate locusts and came out of the wilderness. Any composting, Patagonia-clad hipster should be jealous. (laughs) So Jesus tries to commune with people, be one with the people, changes water into wine at parties, has dinner with people. But Jesus is also misunderstood. And then to add insult to injury, the disciples are misunderstood. Did you notice how we skipped a few verses in the lectionary? I suspect the early lectionary makers didn't want to show us too much of angry Jesus, but it's amazing. So I'm going to read it for us. Hear the rest of Jesus' rant. This is starting in verse 20. Then Jesus began to reproach the cities in which most of his deeds of power had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. Whoa. I trust I don't need to unpack his comparison to the people of Sodom, the lowest of the low. Better for Sodom than these unrepentant neighbors. Jesus is reacting, full throttle, unfiltered, cursing and woeing his neighbors in disgust. How is this for you? Seeing Jesus so emotional, so human. I want this to liberate us this morning. Anger and strong visceral reactions have gotten a bad rap in our culture. 
Do you ever let yourself get angry? Or if not angry, do you ever feel overwhelmed by the news or politics or broken relationships or the transitions of life? Those of us in the field of justice work and those of you who are humanitarian workers and those of you who struggle to make sense of new information that changes your life, that's all of us, by the way, I invite you this morning to take solace in Jesus, in this side of his anger. Our pastor, Joe, recently reacted a few weeks ago to our governor. We've talked about it already some in this space. It was amazing. I'm so glad we got to see that picture of him shouting in the meeting. You know that one? And by the way, will someone please enlarge that and hang it in the building for before he gets back from vacation. I mean, that's a really good opportunity there. But we need to see more emotion in the public sphere, especially in the face of injustice. My college alma mater, Samford University, is deep in the trenches with Alabama Baptist over the LGBTQ conversation. And how many years late to the party is the school anyway? That's anger-inducing enough. The LGBTQ students and their allies have been seeking faculty and board permission to begin a group called Samford Together. It's not an advocacy group, rather a neutral space for education and dialogue. It is a university, after all. The faculty finally approved it after nearly a decade of student work. Yet this past week, the president refused to take the request to the board on account of two concerns. His and the board's misunderstanding of scripture and traditional marriage values, alongside the state Baptists threatening to withdraw their millions of dollars of support. Students are incensed. With years of being diplomatic and patient, they are taking their anger to the streets like Jesus, or rather to social media. And I'm glad... I suspect that there are others of us in this room who understand this kind of anger. The kind that comes when folks resist a growing worldview or a new awareness of how people hurt. Jesus is angry because his way of gentleness and compassion, it brings healing and it supports community development. We might do well to read the people's refusal of the disciples as an equivalent to folks voting against their own interests to maintain the status quo, to get back to what is familiar and normal. But what they don't realize is that it's at their own peril. What our governor and what Sanford's president fail to realize is that by ignoring their constituents, they are keeping God narrow, and they're keeping the marginalized people out. And so some of Jesus' followers are rightly furious. But take a look again at what happens next in the text. It's that part of our reading that picks up just after the skipped angry Jesus verses. Jesus begins a prayer. I thank you, Abba, God of heaven and earth. Do you see what he's doing? He's recentering himself. He catches his breath. He remembers why he is in this game of redemption and reconciliation in the first place. Jesus thanks God in an intimate, prayerful moment 
for the opportunity to be in partnership with the divine. Those of you who meditate or practice centering prayer understand the power of this transition, right? We can't sustain the high levels of anger or resentment. Eventually, while the emotions are expected, they don't empower us to maintain our work or our relationships. And so it's important that we don't skip this next step that Jesus models. And how much have we Westerners finally been learning from our Eastern religious neighbors about the tools of mindfulness? It reduces stress. It reduces the flow of blood to our free frontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that makes us anxious and depressed. And it connects us together with the people who we share that sacred energy in a circle. And yes, this is my shameless plug to come to Meditation Circle tonight at 7 p.m. right here in the commons. All are welcome. Realize this. While the Sanford students struggle to regroup and figure out what's next, we have other examples of individuals who are at different points in their work. Righteous, angered inspiration evolves into embodied response. In response to the wrongful death of black men in the streets, young women formed the Black Lives Matter movement. Which, by the way, it's not a movement to deny the importance of other non-black lives. Rather, it is a bold and inclusive effort to say that right now, at this point in American history, in an era of increased incarceration where they are predominantly people of color, in this world where, yes, so many lives matter, in particular, black and marginalized lives matter especially. Now, I could pause the sermon here and list a whole slew of mindful people responding to needs with remarkable sacred empowerment. But I promised Fran White on Facebook that my preaching would only go for less than 40 minutes today. But I do want to talk just for a moment about the refugee crisis. Of course we are angry that indigent people are forced from their homelands because of terrorist regimes or famine or war or oppressive governments. In fact, I question the humanity of those who are unaffected by mothers who find it safer to put a child in a boat than to keep their baby at home with them. We get angry and we get sad and we get overwhelmed. But once we remember our privilege as Americans... And once we see the resources that we have and that we can share, our reactions change and evolve into a response. We partner with other agencies like Kentucky Refugee Ministries and Americana and Church World Service. We sponsor families and folks at churches even host congregational conversations on beautiful summer, sunny Sunday afternoons to discuss how we might become a sanctuary church. Friends, this is following the model of Jesus. And yet, let's not fool ourselves. Let's not be too rosy too quickly. Life is really hard. When readers first picked up 25 years ago Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled, one of my family members, a staunch fundamentalist Christian at the time, refused to read it because she vehemently disagreed with the opening sentence. Life is difficult. It's unfair that many religious people have been taught that their religious experience should transcend the hardships of life. 
It becomes yet another way we shame ourselves, believing the lie that if we were more faithful or if we prayed harder or if we were more in tune with the needs around us, then difficulty or pain wouldn't be our lot in life. Life is indeed really difficult. And Jesus gets this. And so if your life is chaotic today, or anxiety-ridden, or if the justice that you're working to combat isn't lessening, it doesn't mean that you're not faithful or that you're not doing good work. And here's how I know this to be true. Jesus' third step in this passage, after he gets angry and after he recalibrates with prayer, he does something spectacular, something that only Jesus can do. He offers this beautiful invitation to his fellow workers, to those folks who are still angry, and to those who are exhausted, and to those in the middle of a fray. I want us to imagine his invitation to those of us this morning who are worn out from caring for ailing parents or feral toddlers. I think there are a few of those in the room. I want us to hear Jesus' invitation to those who might fear their partner or to the social workers who work with traumatized children, or to you who hate, or to you who hurt, or to you who fight for the rights of others, or to you who takes medication for stress-induced stomach ulcers, or to you who promise that tonight will involve one less beer or tomorrow one less cigarette. Jesus offers the same invitation again to you who feel alone, just like it is an invitation to you who are oppressed and scared that maybe you've been forgotten. It is a call to all of us. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know what a yoke is? When I texted my husband about the yoke of Jesus earlier in the week, he responded, Lauren, I've literally never seen a yoke. Not only did Jesus need a theology teacher, he also needed a marketing campaign. Some madmen like ad agency that could have helped him find a less oppressive, less slave-like metaphor for life with the divine. Okay, so yokes are these large wooden carvings that fit atop two oxen that links them together for farm work. The idea is then that the oxen share the load and they can pull more weight and do harder work longer. While While Jesus doesn't wave our burdens away with a magic wand... He does remind us that there is a source of infinite love. I think I'm emotional because I believe this so intensely, right? And I want you to hear this. Okay, I'm calming down. (laughs) This passage is about Jesus reminding us that I'm not calming down. (laughs) Because I know we all hurt too, right? Love. 
that you can come to him and that you can come here and be part of this community in this work in the world that I literally believe has the power to transform our lives and the lives of those around us. And if there's ever a time in the path of our history that our world needs to know and see this, it is now. It is the divine that takes on human form with all of the reactions and the responses and the woes and the hurts that give shape to the human experience. So there's this fabulous pastor in Missouri who says this about this invitation. She names the unforced rhythms of grace. Isn't that beautiful? The unforced rhythms of grace. It is not just a call into recovered life, but a call to lay down our own stuff our own expectations of stuff, just like Jesus had to lay down his own expectations for how this was supposed to go. And then we get to follow him. And so even in the midst of it, especially when things seem insurmountable, it is the force that reminds us that liberation is not won once we finalize our checklist of social justice work. But we are free when we remember that the holy source of love is at work with us, right here, yoked beside us, inviting us to be co-creators of this love in abundance, a love to which we yoke ourselves for hope and freedom, one that we are never asked to carry alone. So church, let's pray for the students carrying yokes at Samford and for pastors and residents who have been prayer walking in West Louisville for years. Let us pray that black lives matter. Let us pray for people seeking sanctuary and the church who seeks to help them. And in our praying, may our actions yoke us to the one who liberates, sustains, and mobilizes us all. Amen. Let's pray. God, what a gift it is that you are one who calls us every morning, every afternoon, every evening, every night, as often as we need to hear it, back into the embrace of your love and your transcendent peace. And so I pray that whatever people are bringing and holding in this space right now, that they will see that yoke reaching out from your shoulders and have the courage to step up into it and hold themselves there beside you because the work is before us and the work is hard and yet we go through it with courage and bravery, trusting that we are not alone and that you will not forsake us and that you will not forsake your people who need to know that they matter. And so help us be a church that does that this afternoon in our conversation about sanctuary, tomorrow, and in the days ahead, whether we are here in this building or out in the community at work, living our lives. Thank you for all of the ways that you hold and call us and inspire us and ask us to use our imaginations to be people of hope and love. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen.